Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This thing right here yeah, yeah, is for my people's in the streets. <laughs> yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this one might. Be. All right, y'all. Happy Friday. I hope you're doing whatever. Thank you for being with us wherever you are. For being here with RSG, one mic. Uh, we love being here. If you want to catch us, uh, you can catch everything uh, RSG on go to www.realsportsguys.com. You can catch us. You can uh, connect to our social media platform there. Um, you can um, uh, catch some of our videos that we put up there as well as the audio. You know, I'm, I'm on the road here, but, you know, we're going to keep it moving because there's a lot happening in the world of sports. Um, if you have not checked out uh, – our, our platform before, this is One Mic, this is a show where my man Hank uh, Darnell and I, you know, we get into uh, we get into uh, sports. We usually start with an open mic, and then our cypher, our cypher, which is the main part of our show, we'll, we'll have a theme that we'll focus on, and then, you know, we always have to have some wisdom. We always have to drop some wisdom at the end of the show with the drop the mic. We also have our big show that's kind of been on hiatus, but those who've been with us for a long time, know that show with Marcus and uh, my man Phil. And, uh, you know, we I am working on getting back in uh, to that mode with them. Uh, we also have Hustle and Flows, which is the intersection between hip-hop and sports that we do with Feku and Marcus. And then we have Inside the Park with my man Hank. And we're going to have an Inside the Park theme a little bit today here in the open mic um, that I'm going to hit Hank with. And so we'll, we'll hear Hank's voice a lot. But before I get into this, we got to open it up. i got to bring my, 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 my co-host into the game. I'm going to start with the youngin. Uh, what's up, my man, Darnell? How you doing? All right. So before I get into anything, I have an announcement to make. I am currently we- denouncing my Michigan fandom. I am now an Ohio sports fan. The Pistons, I, all I wanted for the Pistons to do was to draft Kevin Porter, and then they had not one but two chances at it, and then they ended up trading him to Cleveland. So I like to announce that I am now a Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Indians, Cleveland Cavaliers, Ohio State Buckeyes fan from now on. Uh, except for basketball, I'm a Michigan State fan still, but still. So, My goodness. You just threw everything out. You said a baby out with the basketball, the basketball, the baby. You threw everybody out on that pick. Oh, 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 oh. Kevin Porter, who who has a lot of upside we'll talk about, but he had his own set of problems uh, at USC. It wasn't like he didn't come out with uh, some issues, uh, you know, that, that he had to struggle with when he, in, in his freshman year uh, at USC. But, uh, okay, man, we're going to dig into that a little bit more then, okay, when we get into the cypher. All right, you know we got to bring the veteran on. You know, he likes Tom Malone of Talk Sports Sports. You can bank it. He's going he to finish. He's going to finish, and then he might fade away jump and kick you with, with the leg out. But he's our man. Uh, my man, Hank Davis. How you doing, Hank? I'm doing real good, D. I want to take this opportunity to wish everybody a very happy summer solstice. This being the first day of summer, we're going to get a lot more daylight today. And I'm, and I'm glad we got a lot of daylight today because clearly the youngin is not too bright. So hopefully, you know, this daylight, this first day of summer, bring him back a little bit because he's about to get a whooping with that Ohio State crap. Okay, now you know, you know. No, you know, you know better. Yes, he should know better. My goodness. I, I mean, I, yeah, I have see, my reasons. See, see, the coach in me is coming back lion, out. See, I'm going to have you running around the pond again. Take a lap around my, the pond on that one. That's it. You did coach him in youth sports. And speaking of youth sports, my goodness, the, the folks that were uh, at Lakeland, Colorado, my goodness, parents acting crazy. You got a 13-year-old up. Folks don't like to call. Before we know it, it's a, it's a melee. That's what describe described. It. It's a melee happening out there in the field. And just I, I, as I saw it, I said, I've got to get Hank's perspective because Hank 
is, you know, he loves baseball, taught, has uh, managed, uh, coached youth sports and baseball, has a perspective, has to work with parents. So, man, I'm just going to give you the floor. We also got the youngin who also played for you uh, 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 as, as a youth. So we got both perspectives here. But I'm going to start uh, with Hank, man. What was your – I'm just going to say, what was your think? What was your reaction? I just want to hear what you guys got to say about this crazy incident, if he's fair. Let me tell you something. This is one of the reasons why, as much as I love coaching, and if you if, if, if and for coaches out there that's listening, there is really no greater joy if you got a, a love for the sport than to be able to teach it, to be able to teach it to young uh, impressionable kids that want to learn, to be able to teach them your style, to be able to teach them first and foremost the fundamentals of the game, to teach them uh, teamwork, to teach them sportsmanship, okay, to teach them how to really be able to channel their competitiveness to make themselves better than what they can be, but not just for themselves, but for their team, okay, to try to teach that brotherhood of, 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 uh, of teamwork, okay, so for a coach, this is what you do when you bring those kids in, you try to gain and you try to garner and you try to uh, really understand, get them to understand the sport in which they're playing, how to play it right, how to play it the right way, and how to first and foremost have fun with it, and to really try to um, portray that, that, or project that joy that you have on, uh, for that sport onto those young, impressionable kids. But I'm going to tell you right now that, that, that there's many of coaches, or many of ex-coaches will tell you, I had to cut it loose. And not because I didn't love being around the kids, because, but because sometimes the parents of themselves are just abysmal. The parents are delusional. Parents sometimes get out there and they think that their kids are Willie Mays or they think their kids is Mike Trout, okay? And their kids are kids. <laughs> In this situation, it really, uh, unfortunately, it, it really brings forward what I'm talking about. You've got seven-year-old kids. Now, let me explain that to you, Okay. When you're at five and six years old these days, okay, or when I was a kid, when you were five or six years old, you didn't really play baseball, okay? You got into t-ball when we played with a real baseball, okay, and they taught you how to play. But at that, like at five or six years old, in most cases, they're doing coach's pitch. That means the coaches is pitching the ball because kids themselves don't have any, uh, that kind of control over uh, throwing the ball to the plate on a consistent basis. You know, and even when they get a little older, they still may have a tendency to <clears throat> throw it over the backstop, but I digress. So what I'm saying to you is that, um, that you're trying to teach these things, but the parents themselves want to come up to you. They want to tell you, well, sudden little Johnny be playing right field. No, no, little Johnny is having a hard time putting his glove on the right hand, and we don't want him to get out there and get hurt. <laughs> now, in this situation here, what's really made this really uh, just ridiculous is the fact that, you got a 13-year-old umpire. Now, when you've got seven-year-old kids, you've got teenagers, in most cases, or other kids that's trying to also learn. You following me? Yeah, they're also trying to learn. They've got them umpire, 13 years old, okay? In, in, in some cases, they're still playing ball themselves, all right? They're still probably playing for some little league team or some under-14-league under, uh, team, and they're taking their time out to coach or to umpire a little league game. Then you've got these parents. Some of them, you know, they probably couldn't spell baseball. If you gave them the B-A-S-E and the B-A, they probably couldn't spell the game. But yet they're going to come out there and they want to sit out there and, and question calls. Now, we all know about sports. We know that um, uh, umpire officiating is a part of the game, and we know we can spend a whole uh, show talking about bad calls. It happens. But, but the thing is, you're, you're trying to get kids at this age to, uh, to learn sportsmanship, to learn teamwork. So this was abysmal from a bunch of adults that bringing their kids out there, and because they've got some sort of hang-up themselves, that it, that it escalates over into a brawl of a seven-year-old game. The unfortunate thing is this won't be the first brawl we hear about, and this, uh, 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 this isn't the first brawl we hear about, and it won't be the last one because the parents are more spoiled than the kids, okay? And I go right back to when I look at a seven-year-old kid, so how old is the parent? okay, late 20s, early 30s, and it goes back to that sense of entitlement, and I don't want to really get into a whole lot of societal things, but when you start thinking about I'm going to lose my mind, I would say it would be a societal thing outside of the fact that it's always happened. 
but we hear more and more and more about it. The parents are getting into it with each other in the stands. They're not playing. Their kids are out here playing with each other. They're not playing. They're bringing their issues to the ballpark that their kids are playing, jumping on each other and getting out there and acting a fool. And dare I say it, a damn fool. And it's a shame. Okay, and, and, and coaches say, you know, I don't want to put up with these parents. I, it's not the kids. It's the parents. It's always been the parents. It, this one is one that, you know, they just need to take a real a close look at youth sports and say, that, look here, when you got a parent that's out there acting a fool, like this, don't even let them come and let them know that if they try to do something, just go take the kids off the team. It's not fair to the kid, but it's, 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 it's enough is enough. And I can tell you right now that we had our share of parents that tried to be throw a little shade with a smile on their face, and I just looked at them. You know, I always had I always uh, had a pride that me and one other guy was the two biggest guys on the field all the time. We said we're running the team. If you don't like the way we run the team, take your kid off, and be done with it. And 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 that's the way we did. I love coaching Darnell and love coaching these kids, and and they responded. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. However, I will tell you right, again. That, that we we had some they weren't nowhere near as hostile as what we saw, but 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 it, it's a challenge and and when it when it spills over like that it's an embarrassment for the kids, it really is. Yeah, and I think you're bringing like I'm I'm you know I'm on the board of a community center uh, up here in Madison and one of the programs they got is a, a great program. Um, it's designed to expose um, youth to opportunities to referee and. Because it's a great profession. It's something that you could do throughout your life. Like some of these kids might not go to college. They might not do some other things. But there's an opportunity for them to uh, find a profession. They love being around sports. Great program. But when you see stuff like this, I know those kids are having second thoughts about should we do it. Because to do these sports, you got to have folks to do those jobs. They got a shortage right now of people who are up to referees. And if you talk about developing your kid and having your kid have an opportunity, you can't, you can't, you can't put people on the field if you don't have somebody who's a trained official. And so, over time, we have a shortage. And, and the biggest part of this that disturbs me, the biggest lesson you learn in sports is helping a young person understand how to deal with failure, not being afraid to fail. And so much of these reactions is protecting kids from a, a moment of failure. And even that moment of failure might be a bad call. Hell, we all experienced that growing up in youth sports. We all have watched that. We all had that moment that still hurts us. But the, the ability to bounce back and figure out how you get better and how do you stay out of that position next time, right? There's something that you can do. You can suck it up. You can get better, get off the mat, or you can let it hold you down. So there's so many teachable moments that these parents who come to this generation, a lot of them now have come through the generation of where everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets right. uh, 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 some type of recognition, and now they're parenting, and now they're thinking that that their youngin can't have any kind of heartache. You know, you talked about Darnell. That Darnell's father played major uh, college uh, baseball, so he can't. You know, coming in and however he performed or not, you know, there's that whole dynamic. I bet you can get any kind of response from him. And as far as he just wants to let his son enjoy the game. There are some people who could just let their kids enjoy and learn through the actions of sport. But these parents, at seven years old, you go, you, it's high stakes. This ain't even an under-15 game. This ain't a game where you got scouts looking at. Like, there's nothing on this game. These folks are in the early part of their development, and they're, what they're going to see is their mama, DDT, and another person's mother or father, that's their memory. That's every grade. Yeah. They're going to sit around and tell you and say, man, my mom came off the top rope. On them. Like that is what that's the that's the thing we're gonna see now. My question is, are they gonna start having the police presence there? Because you know, if this was South Florida and a little league football game, everybody's like, we need a police there at these games. Are we gonna have presence there? Are we gonna have what are we gonna have there? Or, or we go? Are we saying this is just the middle class folks, suburbs of De- uh, Denver, just being that? You know, they they they, they got folks up there trying to uh, turn parents in. They're the proud folks to be with somewhere else. Let me tell you yeah. something, though. The, the the fact that you got seven year olds—that's what appalls me. Okay. Yeah. Now, I not not that it is ever, not that it is ever uh, a good idea for parents to lose their mind. All right. But 
you know, I, I when, when I when I've seen some of these football games, I've also realized that that the dads played, you know, especially when you start talking about Pop Warner, some of the dads yeah. played on those same teams that their sons was playing on, you know, and they still up in the stands talking trash. All right. I mean, when you start talking about Pop Warner, you start talking about South Florida football, you say, yeah, there's going to be a police presence there because those rivalries go right into manhood. But it should never it should never get out on the field. It should never escalate to the point where you got to start throwing blows. You got to if you got to beef with that with that individual that tough. You know, it, it, you know, then 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 you don't need to show up at the game. And that's the what but this thing here, it goes beyond ridiculous. Because I can't yes. see, like, have, having coached seven-year-olds and, and five- and six-year-olds, I just can't see how you can allow yourself to get that elevated in your, in your, in your temperament. I mean, the kids yes. are having a hard enough time. I, I, I kid you not, man. They have a hard enough time keeping, getting their little jerseys on, okay, holding the bat <laughs> for the love of God. Okay? I mean, i, I got to put this into perspective for you. They standing right on top of home plate. Okay, you got to get them to you. You, you steady adjusting them. Okay, you got to keep them from playing in the, with the dandelions in the outfield. I'm like, come on, this is this is this is seven year old baseball. All right, how do you allow yourself to get that bent out of damn shape? I'm serious. Okay, when you start talking about uh, travel ball and other stuff like that, maybe there's more of an investment there. And, again, I'm not condoning anything, but I'm just saying that when you start talking about entry, entry, entry level, and you've already lost your mind, that says, that's, that's, a, that's a huge reflection on, that, on, those, on those households in that neighborhood, okay, for a lot of those people that decided to get involved in that, that nobody said, this is stupid, let's stop this. I mean, you hit it right on the head, man, and, um, you know, we see a lot of this in youth sports. Um, some of this stuff is, and, and we can get into more of it. It might be a great conversation. How the pressure goes up when these parents decide to specialize. So we're gonna try to seven baseball is what you gonna play, right? So we put all our eggs in one basket because we see you got a little bit of skill, and that amps it up even more with the specialization because you know it's not like okay we're gonna move from baseball to football to basketball to whatever. You know this is what. We, we went and bought some nice shoes, right gloves. We got you a hitting coach at seven. You know what I'm saying? You know, in some of these communities, they start this whole specialization and investment early. Um, and that drives that, that, that anxiety up for no dang reason. So there's a whole right. bunch of elements that play into stuff like this uh, in terms of how these parents and these supporters come into these spaces. Darnell, I, yeah. I haven't got a chance to hear you, you say as someone who's been in youth sports, you've been around a little bit. What, what was your perspective? Well, first of all, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. I didn't hear about it before the show. But um, being a um, – I coach um, high school football as well as um, head coaches, but um, – we see a lot of these parents that um that tend to go at rest a lot, but I haven't really seen parents actually fight in the stands. That's that's kinda wild. But um I'd have to pretty much agree with everything Heck was saying. Heck was um he hit it right on the he hit the nail right on the head and I'm throwing that. Yeah, I, I think, it, you know, it, that's why I wanted to get Hank's perspective on this, uh, that it's, it's crazy of uh, 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 watching this. Now, Hank, I'm going to stay in baseball for just a little bit longer here. I don't think I had this on a rundown. But I just heard, I mean, I heard another thing. So the whole Baumgartner in, um, uh, what's it, is it, is it Mitt or something like that, the whole, you know, uh, hitting a home run and going down the first base line kind of thing. And this whole idea of, like, these guys trying to regulate how people can celebrate. Again, I mean, baseball's in the news right now on me. Uh, and I, I just – I don't – I understand Bob Jotter, man. I don't understand how he thinks he has the right to tell people what to do uh, going down the line. And it's kind of like this, this idea of certain kinds of guys coming from certain kind of background regulating behavior 
when all you gotta do, and now you know they had to, and, and then the Dodgers went and made the shirt, and now <laughs> Baumgartner faced him last night, and he they just rocked him last night. But I mean, what is this around baseball, man? Where like where these guys are just trying to regulate happiness when they're the ones who messed up. Let me let me tell you what it is. See, you, baseball is slow on the draw, okay, in a lot of celebratory things. So when you know you had when you so you got to take you see in football you have the end zone celebrations, okay. Uh, you got the slam dunks that go on and, and the clowning after something like that in hoop, okay. Uh, you've got the the group celebrations in hockey. Baseball has always tried to be that. If you want to say, for lack of a better term, a gentleman's sport. And now what's happening, again, with this new generation of baseball and stuff, uh, you got guys that, that that's catching you, but you got pitchers that's talking smack too. And you got guys that's catching them, and now they're coming with this new thing, which is what I call the uh, equivalent to the end zone celebration, the bat flip. So, see, the bat flip was something that, you know, when you know you got one, it used to just be you just you just – ran around the bases. Now you got the guys bat flipping. So now the pitchers get pissed off. They think you're showing them up, right? So then what they do, the next time you come back up, they're going to pluck you with one. Now you got a bench-clearing brawl. All right, now, now, now Madison Baumgarten, he's also known as the mad bomber, okay? He's always been one that's got something to say. So the player that they're talking about hit one uh, into McCovey Cove, all right, uh, uh in, in San Francisco, and Baumgarten got got upset about it. And he said to him, if you don't want me to, to flip the bat, go out in the ocean and get the ball, because that's where I hit it. And I'm with him on that. See, the thing is about it, the pitchers don't like to be showed up. But, see, the pitchers been doing that for you. They strike you out, they pump their fist, run off the field. Okay? Now the batters are coming back with a little bit of, okay, you got me that time, but if I get you, I'm going to show you up back. But that's what it is. It's, it's, it's that gamesmanship, and they don't like it because, you know, you when you launch one 400 feet, 485 feet, you got it all, okay? Y'all done threw you my, my best pitch, and you done clowned it. You done flat-out clowned it. Not only did you clown it, you let everybody on TV, in the stadium, the, on, on YouTube, on ESPN know you clowned me. So it's a little bit of an ego crush right there. But that's what it is. It's that gamesmanship. See, there always used to be gentleman agreements in baseball. You just didn't do this. You know, like they would call, you just didn't do this. You didn't flip your bat. You didn't pump your fist. Well, see, this is a different generation of baseball. And baseball is trying to do some things to get the fans to kind of pay attention to some things. We're talking about this right now, okay? And, and you know, we had some great names that, that would go deep and didn't do anything. Your Barry Bonds you know, your Hank Aaron, they would just they just would run around the bases like they'd done it before. But now we got a new generation of baseball where these guys are gonna be a little bit more demonstrative in their in their actions. And so that's what you're seeing. And some of these guys still got that old school mentality and they don't like it. And so they wanna come out and say something about it. But what it what it adds to is gamesmanship. Now what I don't what I hope don't happen is that you know, they start getting to the point where we start to see brawls every other night because the pitcher gets pissed off and starts plucking guys. And then, you know, then that's going to – the unwritten rule is if that pitcher plucks you, you got to go – your pitcher got to go pluck another guy. Now you just got a lot of foolishness going on. So I'm hoping it don't get to that. But that's what we're talking about. That's what that's what this is all about. Hey, so everybody. Where'd he go? Uh, I'm on the board right now. and said the whole got disconnected. So. Yep. Here he comes. Hey, I think oh, I got right back. back. I, I, you know, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, thank you. You listen to RG1 Mike, uh, D. Wilson. I'm actually on the road traveling. So every once in a while, I might jump back in. You know, Hank and Darnell will catch up. But I was going to quickly say, and before we transition to the next topic, was that I remember Reggie J 
are hitting like moonshots, you know. Um, and so I, I'm like, I remember cats like Henderson and some of these guys um, doing some of that stuff back in the day. And so it just seems like, like one of the most exciting events in baseball is like with that World Series of Baseball. When you got Dominican Republic playing Puerto Rico, like those fans are just crazy. And I'm like, why would baseball want that kind of energy around the field? Like there's nothing more popular for baseball than that world, that kind of like that, uh, that kind of uh, world tournament that's happening. When you see those, those countries and that energy, when you see those, particularly those, those, those the Latin American companies and the Caribbean countries or, 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 or territories as well, playing, uh, uh, playing the sport, it's like it's an entirely different game with all the energy and the music and people dancing. And why would baseball want that kind of energy around? I just don't understand I don't think it's, I don't think that they they don't want it, okay. But like I said before, baseball is, is, is slow on the draw. They're starting to see how other sports is doing, okay. When you talk about a Reggie Jackson, Reggie would admire his home run, okay, and and then just but he, he he didn't draw no attention to the pitcher. He drew attention to Reggie Jackson, okay. When you flipping your bat. That kind of draw, that's what sets the pitchers off. Reggie would flip the bat, like, he would take two, three steps out the batter's box, then flip his bat out. I know what you're talking about. But it was all about Reggie. And so, but like I said, there was, there was, there was but I think back then there was a, a mutual respect, which I think is kind of, you know, deteriorating right, right now in baseball, and you're just seeing a lot more uh, demonstrative behavior that, and you're right, it, it's already going on around the world. We're talking about the major leagues right here this this. That's just kind of bringing it to the fold slowly. Well, hey. Well, speaking of that, it was all good just a year or two ago in Houston. And there's rumblings that that the, the two stars in Houston are not getting along. Chris Paul, CP3, and, and Harden. Uh, I have some disagreements about getting the, the way the game is being played. You're seeing that uh, – uh, Dean Tony doesn't have a long-term contract. You know, uh, you got the general manager coming out. Uh, Daryl Morey saying, hey, this, when you have a lot of competitive people, you're going to have folks not getting along all the time. Uh, you hear Chris Paul not liking the way the style of play they have. Um, the fact that James Harden uh, tends to, like, be disinterested when the ball's not in his hand. A lot of stuff happening there. Uh, let me go to you, Darnell. Uh, what do you make of what's happening in Houston, given all the changes? Like, what do you make of what's happening in Houston uh, for what we're hearing? Well, it turns out a, um, a long-time point guard doesn't like playing with somebody else that dribbles the ball 27 times and takes a contested step-back jumper. I mean, um, the way they talked when they first got together made, uh, made it seem like it was going to work out. They won a lot of games, actually, and um, like we say a lot of times earlier, winning covers a, a multitude of sins, but it also works in reverse. Losing and losing on big stages can bring out the flaws that we all see because um, we know Chris Paul is a guy, he's a point guard. He needs, he likes having the ball in his hands. He, um, he's a traditionalist as well. He's into um, running offense the way basketball used to be. And when you're playing in a Dan Tony system where you have um, a ball-dominant guy in James Harden that um, is pretty much isolating almost every other possession and taking a lot of bad shots. And um, a guy like Chris Paul, a high IQ basketball player, he knows what a bad shot is. And when he sees them wasting possessions that he values a lot, he's not going to like it. So um, I think it's predictable, but... It's something that is unfortunate at this time because um, with the way that the West is looking like with um, Golden State running into a lot of issues with with health, being injured, and um, you have the Lakers that are coming up, and everybody said they're going to be the favorites, but with them being in their first season together, um, it's unlikely that they're going to gel right away. So maybe – Houston, this this year is supposed to be Houston window of opportunity. And with them having a lot of turmoil, it's going to spoil it. So that's uh, my take on that. 
Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I thought about it more. I mean, someone reminded me when I was listening to uh, a couple of folks talking about it. You know, Jan Tony's style actually in Phoenix was like the ball finds the open man. There's a lot more ball movement than just ISO. And 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 when you think about it, look, we all play pickup basketball. We don't want to we don't want to play with the guy that dribbles 27 times and shoots every shot down the floor. Like that's not the guy you sign up to play with. And that's the guy that's always losing. And all, before the game is over, he's always looking over at the next team like, hey, y'all need one? While you have to deal with the loss because he wasn't passing the ball. Like, no, like I can, from a Chris Paul standpoint, I can understand, like, nobody wants that guy even in pickup. And then when he's just interested, when you got the ball in your hand on game point, you really mad. So I can understand where Chris Paul is coming from. But at the same time, when they say hard look at him, like, you can't beat your man. So they got a weird dynamic, and they owe this cat a lot of money, and they kind of stuck with what they got. It's interesting to watch all that going on uh, when, at the end of the day, like there are a couple plays from 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 reaching to the finals, but that don't guarantee you winning a championship. And most people believe that you can't win with that style, yet people still think they can win with that style. It's, it's a crazy situation to kind of unpack in Houston. Hank, when you look at that, what are your thoughts? You know what? I I kind of um, slant towards Chris Paul on this one. Um, I heard the comments, but I also saw what everybody else saw, okay? And that was James Harden chucking up shots. You know, he would, he would dish every now and then. But you can't have him try to run the ball up the floor, and you got Chris Paul trying to run the offense. What are you asking Chris Paul to do? Okay, you take Chris Paul out of his game. I heard the comment that Chris Paul was asking that when he was on the floor, he didn't want Harden on the floor with him because he was going to try to distribute and get everybody else involved. But when, when, but when the Harden's on the floor with him, then, you know, the ball goes into him and that's where it dies. And what happens in that situation, uh, and we've seen it many times, is everybody else starts to stand around, all right? And, and, and if your shot don't go, we've got a problem. So, so, so this, this is, this has been, and it's, and it's not lost on me that they played more of D'Antonio's, D'Antoni style last year uh, in the in the uh, conference finals and lost once Chris Paul got hurt, and then it, it reverted back to James Harden and they lost that, okay. And this year in the in the, in the playoffs they didn't do it so much. Harden just kind of took over, and you see they didn't get as far as they did the year before. So uh, it, it, it's a tough dynamic because clearly um, James Harden is not going to change his game, okay? He, he's only going to change it so much, and uh, they're going to be the same Houston Rockets if they don't do anything. But, but yeah, it, it's turmoil because you do have a very cerebral uh, point guard in Chris Paul, and he's like, we got to get everybody involved if we're going to try to win this thing. If this is going to go in there to him and he decides to dish when he feels like it or just bring the ball up the floor. And how many times have we watched the Houston Rockets get late into the shot clock before the shot goes up? You know, it, 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 if I'm a Houston fan, I'm frustrated with that. I was frustrated with it, and I'm not a Houston fan. So, they, you know, stay tuned on this one. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. I think there, there's something. And it's like Harden hasn't always played this way, but I think when you get fed that food gold and you get hyped up and you get that MVP stuff, you start to drink it. And this is the only way you think you can play to win because it features you. And I think, you know, last year I think you were right. They had much more ball movement with Ariza, some of those guys. It felt like more touches were being had when they played last year. The ball was swinging a little bit more when they played back there. They feel like, um, there was many last-second kind of shots going down with the last second, and, and somebody having to throw a shot up. It felt like it was a lot more ball movement. So we're going to see how it unpacks, especially with how some of this other stuff has unfolded. You know, we, uh, everybody speculated. Everybody thought it couldn't be done. But we got Anthony Davis going to L.A. And uh, it's interesting on uh, what this means. And, and people still kind of digging at Palenka, but and talking about, you know, getting to like, you know, you know, the details of how I went or whatever. But bottom line is it looks like AD is going to L.A. The deal was made. Somehow the deal got made. And now you got LeBron and AD teamed up in L.A., which is kind of setting the, setting the table for what we saw in the draft. And we'll get to that in the cypher. You listen to RSG1, Mike. But 
Uh, what did you think, uh, Hank? I'll go to you when you when you heard about the the, the trade being happened between uh, the Lakers and the, the Pelicans, and that AD was going to LA. I thought that um, you know that it was it was the worst kept secret in the NBA. Okay, I, I didn't think he. I didn't think. I think that AD had pretty much uh, put the Pelicans, uh, you know, in in, in in a situation where it was either LA or I'm not playing with anybody. And so, but I think that when I look at what happened on the back end, that you know, everybody talking about yeah, Rob Palenka did what he was supposed to do. He got AD to LA, and that's beautiful. But I still believe that the Pelicans got the best of that deal. Okay, because right now you don't have any cap space if you're the Los Angeles Lakers. You can go get you another max player if you want to, but you ain't got no bench. You ain't got no depth. And last time I checked, LeBron James is getting older and older. Last time I checked, he done got hurt the last two, three years, okay, during the regular season. He didn't finish out this year, okay. And oh, last time I checked, AD had gotten hurt a little bit too. But you don't have any depth. And you're going to go try to run through the West, okay, which, by the way, teams we're not talking about, the Portland Trail Blazers, the Denver Nuggets, okay, those teams are improved, okay. Oh, and, and, and you want to talk about the Pelicans now, all right, the Clippers. You still got some teams over there you got to run through. And you got, and you got AD and you got LeBron James, who is not in his prime, and and – uh, it's going to look good for the for the Staples Center. People are going to come out and check them out and see. But until they are able to, to come up with just two outside of just two players in that still talent rich West, I'm still I'm a skeptic. I want to see what they do next. One thing, and I'll, and I'll bring you in. Um, the one thing you're seeing though is that you know um, you don't necessarily have to have a super team. You, you got two top guys, and it might be a way for them to build a roster. Like Darnell, I think you know Hank is making a point. You know, if you're looking at uh, the Lakers, you know, wh- what do they do? You got these two anchors. You know, how, how would you how would you build out the rest of the roster? Well, everybody everybody in the moment saying that they need another roster spot. I mean, not another roster, but another max um, max cap spot to um, bring in a superstar to play with them, but. I don't think that's the way it should go because they should, there's a lot of guys that they can get to fill out the roster and make a good team because we saw with, with this year, when you have a top-heavy team, sometimes um, injuries can be a problem because um, sometimes you've got a, a guy that's injury prone like Anthony Davis, a guy that's older like LeBron James, like um, if I was the Lakers, what I would do is I would try to fill out the roster. You got guys out there like Seth Curry. You got guys out there like Danny Green. You got guys out there that you need shooters to play with these guys. These these guys are front court players. Like I would bring, I'll bring back Javale McGee as a uh, rim protector coming off the bench. Um, you would still be able to look at um, uh, Patrick Beverly, which is a guy you're going to need in the playoffs to guard guys like Steph Curry and Damian Lillard. You guys that are um, like a James Harden as well, like guys are gonna have to face in the West. Um, you're gonna need a guy like um, Patrick Beverly, guy like Danny Green. There are other guys that um, you can look at, like Noah Noel. I believe he is a restricted free agent. You can look at him. Um, Darren Collison is an option you can look at. There's a lot of ways you could go. Um, I don't think uh, Kyrie Irving or a Kemba Walker would be the way to go because um, you don't want to tie up all the salary cap into another player, into one player, where you have the whole roster to, to fill up because um, there's only – because after the trade, you only have about four or five players left under contract. So you need to fill out the rest of the roster. So I would go out and go into the business of building debts. And players that can um, fill out a full team instead of going after that one max guy. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. I would do exactly that. And I and I think it's, it's interesting. You know, they got two uh, two rookies who I think can shoot and can get some time. And, and this is where you know sometimes the LeBron factor and other folks that just want to have veterans. You got a guy like Mo Wagner who's tall, who can shoot. 
who can really grow into a spot. You know, maybe he's an eighth, ninth man, but he's a guy that can be a, a, a probably a, a contributor on that second unit, along with the, the pieces that you suggested. Um, they got the one kid from, from Kansas who can shoot, who's still, I think, on the roster. I mean, you got kids like that who you fill in some of that youth. No, they of, traded of him. Guys who can create, uh, they traded him. So I was going to think about that. But they traded him to Detroit, I think. See, you can't lose that kind of talent. That's young talent of cats who could just – what they can do is shoot. Like, that's what you need is shooters. And so, like, part of that is, like, like Wagner's a sneaky pick that people aren't talking about, but this is a guy who's got a lot of confidence and can shoot any he's big. He's a guy who can rebound a little bit. You get a guy like that, and then you add those other pieces that you're talking about, you know, now you, you're not pushing. You don't need that, that that other max guy. When you got somebody, when you got two people like 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 LeBron and 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 Anthony Davis, who can do so much um, themselves, and you just got to add those pieces around. And I, I think the Lakers will be better off going that route, like you said. I mean, number of the players you were talking about. In addition, I think you, I don't know if you mentioned Ross. There's another guy out there who can straight up shoot um, and defend. You got you got you know I think Green is a great guy because he's a three and D kind of guy. So he gives you some guys that can also relieve LeBron a little bit defensively. What's great about this is you get somebody like Green, between AD and Green, you can, you can make LeBron the Roma in some way, which is where LeBron plays best. And you can get him on the right kind of matchup in a way that preserves him throughout the season. So I think it's that kind of stuff that you need to be able to do um, uh, when you've got this kind of team rather than trying to go with that, that other uh, max spot. I agree with that. Hey, you listen to Real Sports Guys, uh, uh, RSG1 Mike here, uh, and we're going to go into the Cypher. The Cypher is where we get into the beat of, uh, of our program here. We're going to we'll get into it. The draft happened last night. The picks went down. Uh, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about this. Uh, Hank, we'll go with you first. What is your general observation about what you saw last night in the draft um, in terms of, uh, you know, just players or teams or just your general observation of the draft last night? You know, I wasn't. Uh, I thought that it kind of went the way that uh, it was going to go. You know, I would have been shocked if, um, if 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 the Pelicans hadn't picked anybody else not named Zion Williamson. And if I'm a Pelicans fan today, I'm I'm I'm, I'm excited. I like what they've done. Uh, the other piece of the of the draft, I just have to say, when you look at the Duke players that were drafted, you know, did they really just drop the ball and kick it out of bounds this season? When you look at all the, the, the first-round talent that they had that, that, that went to teams. Oh, but so, so, so that, that kind of surprised me a little bit, that they had that, that going on. I got to tell you, the one thing that did surprise me about this, about this, uh, this draft were, the, and I have to say it, the University of Michigan players that went in the first round, okay? I did not expect uh, uh, Poole to get drafted. I did not expect uh, Igni Brustakis to get drafted. Now, Jordan Poole is going to probably the best situation he can go to in going to the Golden State Warriors, okay? With Clay being hurt, uh, he's going to a, a veteran team, and the one thing about him uh, when he was in Ann Arbor was just, his his he 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 was sometimey with his effort. He was sometimey with with his, with just with his competitiveness. Now he's going to a, a championship team to help get his uh, his uh, career started. I thought I thought that was great. The other one that I want to talk about too, uh, and I kind of hate that that the Pistons missed out on this one. I know uh, Darnell was talking about uh, Jordan, but 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 Boston jumped on it first. But the Pistons needed needed a point guard. I thought. And Carson uh, Edwards was available, okay, at, at 15, and they and they and they went with the project, the young man from Guyana or, or France. Uh, I, I think they were trying. I guess they're trying to develop their own um, uh, Greek freak, okay. But uh, I was not happy with that at all. But because uh, because I had Carson Edwards on, on on my radar that if he was available at 15. That the Pistons to jump on that, and they didn't. So uh, that's that's my take on it. But yeah, I have to say, from a local perspective, 
the two Michigan players that got drafted, I didn't expect I didn't expect them both to get drafted at all. Yeah, I mean that you know that's where one of Beeline's legacies. I mean, you know, he's developed these kids out of nowhere. Now they're, you know, they weren't five stars or whatever, but he developed some pros. Uh, Darnell, what was your just kind of your initial reaction to the to the, the uh, to the uh, draft last night? My initial reaction was um, like it was before that draft really started after the fourth pick. Like uh, we all knew. For the most part, the players that are going to be drafted there is Zion, John Morant, R.J. Barrett, and um, a lot of people were saying um, the fourth should be Garland, but in my opinion, it should um, they made the right decision in DeAndre Hunter. Um, DeAndre Hunter is a guy who reminds me a lot of um, a young Ronald Chess, actually. But um, big surprise for me was um, I didn't expect um, Kevin Porter Jr. to, to fall that far in the draft. Um, if you look at, if you watch him play, he's a, um, he's a bucket and a half. He's one of the uh, best ball handlers, best, um, shot creators. He has a good jump shot. He's very athletic. He's six, six. Um, I don't understand why he dropped, uh, why he dropped so much. I know Devon said he has some, um, character issues, but a lot of guys have character issues in the league, but, um, another guy, not sure little. Um, one of one of my friends on Facebook, he he was early on this. He was talking about he was talking during the ACC season that um, Nasir Little would be a fool to come out this year. But he um, and I and I thought some some people drafted him earlier just on his like physical capabilities. But he, he hit the nail on the head. He dropped into the I think the twenties. Um, Portland picked him up, which is an interesting pick on their part. But um, I think it should work. But um, let's see what else we have. Um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I love your your but I, you know it's one of those things where it's it's, it's probably a blessing in disguise for Nigeria. You know, I think going to, to a place that really needs a wing defender, um, it's also a mature environment with a leader who has been proven to really invest in all of his teammates and Dame Miller. I think with a chip on his uh, on his shoulder, in some ways he might have found a blessing by going to Portland. Um, I was surprised he fell. I was surprised that Bobo, even though with his injury, with what he breaks to the table, fell as far as he fell, given some of the players people were taking. Mm-hmm. Like, especially once he got in the early second round, I thought it was like anything past uh, 15 in the first round for him, I thought it was a steal. And to have him drop as far as he did, um, you know, I'm like, some GMs don't get fired. Uh, just because that's a kid that's got range, can go off the dribble, and yeah, he's recovering, but. When you think about how people recover and the fact that he's young, um, but yeah, I think Nazir uh, uh, got into, somehow fell into a good uh, into a good spot. So I, I like the he probably should have stayed and probably could have been a lottery pick. But sometimes in your career, it's not bad to fall and go to a perennial winner that really needs you to need, will need you at some point to step up early in your mm-hmm. career. I think that was a great observation. What do you think about? Yeah, what do you think about Darius Baisley going to OKC? Who? Darius Baisley. Remember the um, the kid? He was supposed yep. to go to Syracuse, but um, he yep. ended up yep. taking that internship for like a million dollars last year. Yep. And he's a um, very interesting player. He's um, he's like a six nine guard type. Well. Yep. He's six nine, six nine guy with guard skills. He can, he has handles. He can pass the ball very well. Very athletic. He, he was very skinny last year, kind of like a Brandon Ingram yeah. But um, over, but you can see um in the combine, he really worked on his own uh, body, and he um he added uh, quite a few um pounds of muscle on his frame. So I think that's an interesting pick because how many athletes? That's another thing I want to say. How many athletes are on um, OKC? Like they just want to pick up long athletic dudes every um, every year. And, and I also think they need a guy like that who could play on the wing opposite of Paul George. Again, to like uh, from a especially a guy who can play, you know, can can grow and be a good defender and learn under Paul. That gives them a lot more flexibility. A lot is going to call, come down with me with OK City. Is is how um, they evolve uh, 
what's going to happen with Westbrook. And you know my whole thing is, is that if they can find a way to get Westbrook playing a little bit more two and being that passer from the two position and uh, featuring my, uh, featuring my guy uh, who they got from Atlanta at the point, that changes the dynamics of their team about who gets the shots, when they get the shots, what kind of decisions are made at the end of the game. Um, particularly, you got somebody who's looking to run the offense. So when you had a player like that who could also be on the wing to strengthen the second unit, another athlete, you know, can be that, that understudy to somebody like Paul George. I think that, I think that's a good move for them. That's the kind of player they need um, to kind of get them to that next spot. But it's all going to depend on how they they are able to evolve Westbrook and where they move him and get a little bit more to do a point by play. I think that's going to be that big thing down the stretch. I was trying to get, get a sense of what you were thinking about in terms of, uh, you know, you know, in terms of that response to OK City, and and I think those those top teams finding that one player, like I'm saying, Portland or or Oklahoma City or the Thunder, or like that rookie or somebody who can fill something that can, like, tweak, even if it's, like, giving them 15 minutes to be all the difference. I think that's some of the stuff that I saw with Toronto, having those guys who could come in and give them, they gave them something for a short period of time. Um, and, you know, you, they didn't even have OG uh, for for uh, uh, for the playoffs. But they, they, you, you always you find that young guy who's playing, who plays at a much more mature level than anticipated who can give you something. Um, I think that's something that I know if Oklahoma City's gonna get over the top, they definitely need that. And this might be the kind of player that can help them do that. Um was hey, I agree with you Yeah. Hank talked a little bit about surprises. Uh, uh Darnell, did you have any surprises? Anything that other thing that surprised you when you watched the uh the draft? Um, really it's the guy that's the guys that fell. I was um, pleasantly surprised to see guys like um, Carson Edwards and um, um, Trey Waters go um, earlier than I expected. Like um, they go, they went in early second round, but a lot of those those guys that are like undersized go and play guards. They usually um, a lot of these guys end up going undrafted. So I was I was glad to see them find a home. But um, other than that, everything pretty much went went to plan. Other than of course the Pistons, the Pistons. Oh my goodness. I already told you I didn't, I, I'm no longer a fan, but <laughs> that's pretty much all, all the surprises for me. The only thing well, I will I, say I, to I, that I, is uh, don't be surprised. You know, I, that, that, that that young man they got in the 15th round, I mean, I'm sorry, their 15th pick, uh, Sekou, what is that, uh, Don Boya? Yeah. Uh, I, I truly believe they think they're getting – I think they're trying to develop their own uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo with that young man. Uh, his name, I mean, his, his, his style is the same. He, he, he won't, he's only 18 years old, uh, and he won't be 19 until December. So, obviously, the Pistons is going, trying to get younger and trying to develop some things, uh, um, and, and they got time to do it because they got an aging roster and they got some some contracts they can't get rid of. So, uh, if, if if this was a win now team, I think that uh, or, or try to win now team, I think I would be with you. But I don't think I think the Pistons is, is, is fool's gold. I don't even think they should have made the playoffs last year. But that being said, you know I don't know enough about this young I man. I, I, he's got a lot of upside. So this this is the team that you can see what, what they what they do with that, and especially with with Casey and his way of developing players. Uh, I, I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give him a little bit of a pass and see what he does with it. Yeah, I, I like with the Pistons, I think with with Blake, he's more of a point point forward. He he initiates a lot of offense now in his career, um, and so adding, continue to add shooters. And this kid can play, man. This kid, you watch some of the highlights they got of him. This kid can do some things. And so um, yeah. I was hoping they got a point guard. I had a chance to see them in person last year. And you can tell they are a real true point guard away. So 
But they might be trying to look, you know, in the free agency, you know, maybe they get a Collison or something like that. I, you know, I don't know what the plan is. But they got all the other pieces. You're right. They're missing a point guard, a two-point guard. Um, they might be looking at picking up some of these point guards. Some of these guys, there's a number of veteran guards who didn't get drafted, who, you know, who are juniors and seniors, um, who, you know, a lot like Van Fleet, are going to get invited in the play. And, you know, why draft a guy that you could probably get as a, you know, as a, you know, uh, as a, uh, you know uh, through the, the post-draft and invite them to your camp? But there's a, you know, there's a number of guys who, who are solid, uh, really good uh, college players uh, who play point. But, you know, the way the game is going, people are investing in the future. Who they, they might say, look, we'll invite these two or three guys to be point, similar to a Van Fleet. So, you know, I think that is, is, is also to be seen, whether or not they're going to go that route um, uh, as part of their, you know, uh, next move and stuff they're going to do. So I wouldn't quite give up on them until you quite you see exactly where it looks like uh, on the first day, on the first night they play uh, in the fall. But, yeah, you, you would have loved to see them, uh, you know, get, them, get themselves a point guard. Um, the Zion craze, my goodness, New Orleans, them folks went crazy. We all knew it was happening. But what I was really moved by was the emotion that a number of these young men showed, you know, you know, folks who had fathers or mothers who passed. Like, I don't remember seeing this much emotion from Cat being drafted that I'm saying this year. I mean, like, person after person really being truly thankful for folks and showing emotion. Were y'all surprised by just the level of emotion that a lot of these young men showed? Um Versus what we've seen historically in the draft. Yeah, some people showing emotion, but I, I think I've seen I, I thought I saw the most emotion in this draft that I've seen ever in a long time. Hey, what, what, what's your what's your view of this? Uh, the way in which some you know, young men react. You are talking about some young men, okay? Now, how old is Zion Williamson? Okay, he played one year at at Duke, right? And all of a sudden, see, we 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 maybe we a little bit uh, too old and crotchety. Okay, uh, uh, D. But the but the fact is, their dream is realized at a very young age. Okay, and and and, for, and what I see when I see that kind of emotion is they thinking about. I like the humility of it. The fact that they're thinking about the people that helped them get to where they needed to get to. That they had God given talent, but they weren't catered around. They weren't chauffeured around like like LeBron was. I mean, LeBron. We everybody knew about LeBron James. Before you know, before he had played, you know, when he was still in high school, we kind of found out about Zion Williamson. You know, the casual fans found out about him when they seen him play against Duke. That this kid was the truth, and there was a lot of them like that this year. I think that you just saw their game, and and but but they didn't get the hoopla, they didn't get all the hype. But lo and behold, there they are. So I I, I applaud their humility, and I applaud you know the emotion. They know that they are lived. They've got their dream now. Now the work begins. All right, you listen to RSG One Mike. Uh, we're here. We're just uh, uh, finishing up the cipher here. Talk a little bit about NBA draft again. Check out everything that is RSG at RealSportsGuys.com. You know, at, at this point in the show, we got to give it to give it to our band. You know, the way we do it, we want to we, we want to give you a little bit of old school. One of the things that we understand it's important to give to end every show or end any kind of gathering with giving your elder the space and time to say what they have to say on their mind, and we just try to capture the wisdom. And we call that here on this show, dropping the mic with Hank. Thank you, D. You know what? We've been talking a lot about in this show about sportsmanship. We just started talking about humility of these young men reaching their dream. And, you know, that, that to me is, is what it's all about. It's all about competing at the highest level that you can at all times. Why do I say that? Because the NBA is going to have to, and, and, and the NBA is going to have to do a better job of doing something that I just absolutely abhor at my age, and it makes me sick. And it's these teams at the end of the year, and they call themselves tanking. So you're going to sit here and tell me that you you spend your entire life to try to get to the NBA or to the major leagues to to, to the highest point of, of 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 this sport, and you are told by your GM or by your coach. We want you to go out here and purposely lose the game so that we can have a better draft spot. It makes me sick. Why does it make me sick? Because they don't take – because Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles can see if you got the number one overall pick, 
that that that's who you should that you should get. The Zion Williamson was the best player. Oh, but by the way, some of these geniuses made mistakes too. Y'all remember Greg Oden? Y'all remember Andrew Bogut, Markel Folks, Kwame Brown? Okay. Uh, tanking doesn't necessarily always get you the best player. Why don't you do your job with player development, with player um, evaluations, okay, and tell these guys to play to the high level. Take the end of a season if you've got a poor team and do player development. See what you've got that you need to work on. That way you don't go make some, some bogus pick because you've asked these guys who've worked hard their whole life to start to lose because you can't do your job. In other words, tanking. Get it right. Peace out. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.